Our work is to align with ourselves and then to cultivate the courage to step out of things that are not for us. I have a conversation with writer and podcast producer and host Amelia Ruby. She is incredible. She is so wise. She is has her PhD. She's incredibly smart. She's written a book called 50 Feminist Mantras, and she's the founder of Softer Sounds, a podcast studio that makes some of my favorite shows. And In this conversation, we primarily focus on one asset of her work, one topic of her show off the grid, leaving social media without losing all your clients. And we spend pretty much all of this conversation you're about to hear discussing her experience of leaving social media completely, leaving Instagram and all the feelings that came with that which as you can imagine was a pretty broad conversation and and I spoke a lot about how my relationship to that platform has evolved since I downloaded it on my phone in college and posted inside jokes with my friends to you know what it is now which is really not that different but we get into using social media personally and with work and the lines between that being extremely blurred, or at least they are for me and and so many people. And it's more of a conversation than an interview. We really talk about this topic and she's actually going to air this on her feed of Off the Grid as well and something of a swap cast, but we get to the end of the hour and I realize you'll hear it in in a, few minutes if you listen to the end but I'm like oh man we didn't even get to talk about the medium that we both really love which is podcasting and audio and so much more that I want to talk about with her but this is a very topical episode where we fully get into navigating parasocial relationships on Instagram the evolution of the app and the platform and how we both have used it and not used it and how that's changed. And you'll hear me really be extremely honest about, you know, my ups and downs and follows and unfollows and weirdness and and goodness that's come from this one video and photo sharing application company. And I, I'm excited for you to listen. So here's my conversation with Amelia. She will be back for part two to discuss podcasting and what makes a good conversation and where she sees the future of the industry. And I'm really excited for that second part to this. But first, here we are talking about pretty much 
social media and leaving social media for about an hour. I'm just so grateful that you're here. I I said this to you before I pressed record, but I have been spending time with your work more than usual these last Mm. couple days and like for the last week, really. And I just am so nervous to talk to you mostly because there are so many things I want to bring up and Mm -hmm. we we might have to just go into this knowing we need to have multiple conversations because (laughs) I just have so much I want to cover but I'm so happy that that you're here and your work has been so meaningful to me and so anyway thank thank you so much for doing this Mm, I mean thank you so much I I feel like I discovered you years ago through a mutual friend of ours, um, Rose Truesdale in Chicago. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that I think that's she introduced me to your work, and it just feels like a really beautiful moment to to be here and take a sort of like you know admiration from afar into a shared conversation. And shout out to Rose, and yeah, uh, um, I just love all the the community ties and bringing it um, into present time today. Wow. Oh, I didn't realize. I know we have a lot of mutual mm-hmm. friends and, and people that we share in common, but I didn't realize that Rose was the the way that we connected because you used to be in Chicago, right? And, and Rose is there too. Rose is from there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was in Chicago for seven years while I was doing my PhD. And I think Rose and I met just in the general scene of loving creativity and wellness and things around the city. And then Rose's partner, um, now spouse, I believe Dylan was actually yeah. someone that I worked really closely with at a community radio station in Chicago. So we became friends and Rose and I already knew each other, but got even closer through all of that. So we're not in touch as much now that she moved to Berlin and returned and all of the, and I left the city, but it still feels, feels special to to name her as kind of a connecting point. Yeah, Dylan. Oh my God, that is, this is all coming together now because I, I remember you in my preparation research <laughs> hearing about how you you know got into podcasting through radio, and of course I know all about Dylan's. I, I went to Berlin and stayed with them for oh, two beautiful. weeks and traveled with with Rose in Paris, and yeah, she she's so special. And and we actually did a live podcast episode. In Chicago at the Soho House, she was doing some programming there, and it was, mm. I think, the first live podcast interview that I've I've ever done. And she had had me on her her. It was a newsletter at the time, infrequently asked questions, and it, which is such mm. a good name. And it was so fun, and it like planted the seed that I wanted to do live episodes. And um, oh, that's so special! And I'm just I'm so happy that that to know that I I think to to start I. I want to talk about social media and podcasting and softer sounds and and so much of what what you do but I read something of yours from several months ago where you were saying that you were realizing you're completely different than you were in March of 2020 and and I mm-hmm. don't remember exactly when that was from but it was from mm-hmm. a, maybe 3 years out from there ish mm-hmm. and you listed some of the ways that you had changed. And the part that really resonated with me was what you said, which was, you know, sometimes change feels fast and sometimes it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that you were 
simmering, which I feel like I've, I've been very slow simmering <laughs> the point I'm like reducing, you know? Yeah. Um, but you, you talk about that and, and I, I thought that might be a nice place to start if you could talk about what you were doing and as a way of sort of introducing yourself and then what's happening currently and like what ha has happened even, you know, since you wrote that. Yeah. Thank you for the question. This is exciting to unravel for myself even. So I think that piece came from a newsletter I had written where I referred to myself as a soup, <laughs> which is yeah. something I got from the ether kind of of Sam Slopsky, who is another writer I love. And in the piece, I was trying to say like, yeah, I'm just a soup simmering. I think we're all becoming a reduction that just highlights our best parts. Hopefully that's the dream of aging and my, my thinking. But what I shared in that piece was really, you know, in March of 2020, I was living in Chicago with my partner. I was at the very end of a PhD program in philosophy I had a part-time job that I was working. I had just finished teaching, um, which I had done for about five years at a university while I was in my grad program. And I had this great little apartment and a sweet cat and a city life. And I kind of thought that was the best. And then for myself, as it did for so many of us, the pandemic kind of opened a portal that really got me asking questions about how joyful I was in my day-to-day, -day, how what I really wanted my future to look like, what I wanted to be doing with my time and with my, you know, one wild and precious life, as Mary Oliver asks us. And through that, I ended up leaving the city. I moved from Chicago to uh, Lincoln, Nebraska, which is Pawnee land, to be close to my family. I have never lived here before. <laughs> my parents and uh, many generations are from here, but I had grown up on the East Coast and and never lived um, in Nebraska, but I decided to move out to be closer to uh, my parents and my grandparents or my one living grandparent and many, many aunts and uncles and cousins. I have a huge family here. So I made that move. I defended my dissertation, so I finished my PhD, and then I ended up stepping away from academia entirely. Um, I got married. I adopted two dogs. I uh, moved into a really beautiful house after living in tiny, tiny, tiny apartments for seven, eight years. And I left social media. I had been sort of a, a micro influencer. I was doing brand deals. I was doing um, I was doing some brand work. I was doing a lot of content creation and teaching courses and things like that. And I shut down all my social media profiles. And then eventually, I um, left that part time job and started my own business. So a lot of change. Yeah, I think I looked. Yeah, it was a lot of change. <laughs> I looked around, and I think in that piece, what I said is, I was like, if you asked me today in 2023. If anything, like I'm like, my life is so boring. Everything's always the same. But when I looked back, I was like, no, everything is different. So yeah, a lot of change. Wow. I am so happy that all of that happened for you because it, it feels like it is really positive. And from, from what I can tell from my perspective and 
podcasting is such a huge part of your work and a medium that is so important to me. And I want to really get in there with, you know, the meta talking about podcasting on a podcast. But Mm -hmm. before that, I really want to pick up on the piece you said about leaving social media and that's a, you know, become part of your work and and part Mm -hmm. of, I would say what you're, what you're known for now is Mm -hmm. that, that transition. And I want to start talking about social media as a, as a place to, you know, begin with you because I realized it's a question that I kind of tack on to these interviews, regardless of who I'm speaking to at the end, or I'm always like, what, so, whether I'm talking to a musician or a writer mm-hmm. or a therapist, you know, like, mm-hmm. what what's your relationship to social media? You know, it's kind of one of my go-tos and it's kind of throwaway at the end. And sometimes it's like, oh, you know, it, it's, it's nothing to write home about. And sometimes it's like, wow, I wouldn't have thought that you would have struggled with it too, or you, ha- you know, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Everyone's social media uh, relationship is interesting, and mm-hmm. I, I'm so curious if if we can get into it a little bit because I think our our origin stories are are similar, and of course, the more I hear about your leaving social media and the way that that unfolded for you, I was, you know, putting myself in my relationship mm-hmm. to it that has been very strange. And so I think we might be around the same age and I've had similar workings with, you know, books and different sort of working mm-hmm. with brands and personally and not personally. And and it's, you know, it's a trip. The whole thing is a trip. So yeah. I, I guess I'll start by asking, you know, one thing I, I heard you say is somewhere, you know, I think in related in relation to marketing but you you've said instagram is easier than relationship making and mm. i'm curious if you can unpack that a little bit and why why that is yeah yeah oh so much here so i think when i say that i am like it definitely needs unpacking because i i don't actually mean necessarily that instagram is easier than relationship making but i think what i'm trying to get out there every time i talk about it is this sort of mm, myth that we've been fed that has now like become true so i think for many of us Instagram has become this proxy that we do all of our relating through to other people, to the world, to the news, to our local environments. Like Instagram is where we go for connection in all of those areas. And as a result, it feels like the first thing we turn to. It feels so easy. It feels so easy to just, it feels way easier to pull up someone's Instagram profile than to actually talk to them reach out to them in a more direct way, um, ask to be friends, ask to collaborate, uh, share something vulnerable with, you know, so it's become, I think, through habit, and through sort of cultural shifts that have happened over the past decade, it feels way easier to use a social media platform and let that be this sort of mediator of all of our relationships than it can feel to actually be in relationship sometimes. And I think that on Instagram and on social media, like 
when things get sticky, when the relationships get challenging, now all these sorts of, <laughs> we have ways to blame the platform for it, right? So it could be um, a cancel culture thing, or it could be an algorithm thing, or, you know, it could be any sort of other platform specific thing is the problem instead of maybe there being an actual like conflict in our relationship that we need different like tools um, to handle or to speak openly about or to um, heal together. And so that's kind of one, one lens that I would bring to or qualify or unpack that statement with of like Instagram is easier than relationship making. But I think but it's less fulfilling, less genuine, less long-lasting, less all these things that I want to bring <laughs> to my life. Like all the things that really nourish and um, support me are not the the types of like easy Instagram connection that I can get. Like those things all live in deep relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I I think one thing that you said related to this is on a podcast with Michelle and Wallace, Holisticism, you were talking about the connection between Instagram and control and Instagram and social media and or really we're talking about Instagram and and trying to be cool and caring and how it's it's cringe to to care. And I think this sense of rejection essentially and like avoiding rejection it's less scary to put yourself out there and be like whether you're trying to make a sale for a business or you're trying to get a romantic partner or or mm -hmm. you know whatever it is it's easier to blame it on the algorithm or the way instagram has changed or whatever that is than maybe it's me like maybe it's the the work or maybe it's like, you know, I just need to work a little harder or I need to, you know, and sometimes maybe it is true, but it's just, there's, there's a nuance to it. And, um, and I just, I think that that sense of control is something that, you know, I think about a lot and, and think about surrender and control and the, the, the dichotomy between the two and the addictive patterns that I've had have all, you know, mostly maybe for all, all people are related to that in, in some way. And, and, and mm -hmm. you know, social media being, being one of those. So I'd love if you, you know, kind of taking people back, because I just realized I know so much about your <laughs> getting off of social media story, but to, to bring people into the, the fold of that, could you start by, you know, why you wanted to do that? And then what, has that been like? What has it given you? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, so like many of us, at least of, you know, our general age, uh, millennials or middle or elder, or even younger millennials, like most millennials, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I got on social media got on Facebook in late high school. I got an Instagram in college. Um, and at first it was really just a place with, to connect with people I knew and to kind of then curate a sort of image of my life for others. And then I have always been a writer. So I started sharing more of my writing on Instagram. I started, you know, even unconsciously shaping it into more like content like series. So I launched a um, 
a series of feminist mantras and affirmations that I posted every Monday starting in like 2016. And then that slowly blossomed into a self-published book. And then that became more and more content I was creating. I started doing another series around selfies for radical self-love, trying to bring some more political understandings of self-love into um, some selfie practices that were in conversation with the you know theories of the female gaze and oppositional gaze coming out of Bill Hook's work. And I was doing all of this content creation and I started, um, I got, you know, offers from brands. And so I like worked with Parade and was like, you know, in my underwear on the internet a lot and, um, you know, putting my affiliate link out there. And then um, I did a little other paid brand work. And then kind of out of the blue, my, I got a email from a publisher who wanted to take my self-published book and make it a published, published book, <laughs> like uh, um, work with them to re-release it. And so I did that. And as part of that process, I was really encouraged, requested, pushed at some moments to really try to grow my Instagram following. Um, I am not someone, you know, when, when I was really like working on my Instagram following in like 2017, 2018, I just remember how hard it was to even break a thousand followers and how proud I was, even when I left, to have like almost 3,000 followers. And now I look at people's numbers and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, feels like you need to have hundreds of thousands of followers to even quote unquote matter on these platforms. Um, but basically through promoting my book, through really trying to grow my platform, I put a lot of work and effort into it. And I think for me, that kind of turned into this ego death process of like, I'm not going to make it big as an influencer. <laughs> like it's not working for me. I was really unhappy. I was chasing these metrics that just weren't coming together. I was, I felt like I was creating stellar things. And looking back, I really think I was. And in fact, like those things have had longevity. So at a certain point, I was like, okay, this is not working. And at the start of 2021, I, sat down and I wrote this in my journal, this list that was called Instagram rules for 2021. And I made this super long list of all the ways that I would and wouldn't engage with the app. And these will sound very familiar to anyone on their own Instagram uh, anxiety journey of like, it was like, I will log on on Mondays. I will post this. I will log off after an hour. I will check back once a week. Um, I will delete the app on the weekends. I will put up a DM autoresponder, which actually didn't exist at the time, but <laughs> things like this. I made this super long list. And when I got done, I realized that the only other times in my life I had needed that many boundaries were in really unhealthy codependent relationships with other human beings. And I had been to a lot of therapy <laughs> to heal those wounds with other people. And just so I just had this sort of aha moment of just seeing so clearly that that's exactly what this was. And in that moment, it was like an immediate shift of like, okay, I have to get out of here. Like, I see what this is now. And this is not for me. And I have to leave. Yeah. Wow. That it's such a great story. <laughs> like, I, I mean, I, 
hearing it, it's it's hard to hear that. And I'm sure for people listening too, and not consider your own relationship to this, because in hearing your story, I was like, wow, okay, yeah, I got it in this w- this time period in my life, and it was really fun and really exciting and i you know no one none of us knew what this was and we didn't you know mm-hmm. it was like sharing our you know with the valencia filter on our coffee or whatever <laughs> and yeah. seeing our friends and making inside jokes and then you said this somewhere else and you said it a little differently today but the way you said it somewhere else really stuck with me cuz you said my caption started to get a little bit longer. And then you, you said this again mm-hmm. today too, of like, it started to become, it's just kind of became content. And mm-hmm. that was the case for me. Like my, my relationship to it is so, so complex. And I, I almost don't even really understand what my real, I'm still unpacking it, I think. And it's changed so, so much, but that was one thing I related to, you know, I, I had an iPhone or, I mean, I had a flip phone through the end of college and I would always steal my boyfriend's phone to look mm-hmm. at Instagram. And then I, I mm-hmm. eventually got an iPhone and I was very into wellness at the time. And so I became into this community through sharing my, uh, and by wellness, I mean, I had an eating disorder, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I was calling it wellness and mm-hmm. finding all these other people probably in the same boat, you know, but it felt really <laughs> comforting at the time. And then, you know, I grew in out of that and into that and ups and downs and rights and lefts. And, and then it was like, I, I now have, you know, same as you were saying, like more people follow me on that place than I know. So like, then I know personally, so it's definitely more than a personal account, but over the years, I'm, I I don't know exactly who it is or how they found me. I'm I'm so curious. I had a very similar experience with getting a book deal and, Mm -hmm. you know, build your platform, build your platform, go on other, you know, I tried really, really hard. And the kind of content that I was sharing then is so different from what I'm sharing now, which is just my, Mm -hmm. my, try of making that that boundary i've always been and still am unfortunately like very disorganized and all over the place so boundaries for me are just like i don't feel like it try to make it you know i didn't really have that structure Mm -hmm. like i should have but Mm -hmm. it just sort of happened over time where i was i i felt like it was uncool to be sharing my work on there Mm -hmm. as much and so i tried to make it this is all ego and i can see that now but especially like moving to California and it was the pandemic and I I was around a bunch of artists and people who either weren't on social media or use it in a very cool portfolio sort of way where I just had a real identity shift of like, what do I even do here? And then I started an account for the podcast and, you know, I'm trying to make that this weird amalgamation of things, you know, so Mm -hmm. it's difficult to make those boundaries. Sometimes the boundaries just happen, but the, the piece about the captions really stuck with me because I remember around that time when I had moved here, one of my best friends from college came to, to visit and we were, we were friends in, in New York as well. And I was really, you know, just like, oh my God, I feel like I need to use this for my job, but I don't know what to post. And I'm just so stunted by it. And, and she was like, she said something of, I don't remember how it exactly came up. She was like, I just can't with the long captions. Like, I just can't. And I cared so much what she thought that I was just like, okay, Roger that no long captions. Okay. And it it just became (laughs) like, I was trying to perform for, you know, this, this person who did this podcast years ago said this, which was so great. Like, 
it's like everyone you've ever known is coming to your office, like the mm-hmm. acquaintance from the street or your high school teacher, or your best, you know, and so I was trying to perform for everybody and, you know, therefore not only doing it for nobody, but like not doing it at all. Cause I was so scared and, um, you know, and, and it, and it has changed and gotten better since then. And I have some ideas why, but it's just really interesting to hear these stories of like how we've all evolved it while it itself is evolving and how we use it and how it is connected and not to, to our work. And I just think your, your work around this is, is so, so interesting. And, um, yeah, I'm just so, so grateful that you, you shared it. And, what has it given you? Like what has, and and I, I do this segment towards the end where I surprise you by asking questions from our mutual friends. And, oh, it's funny. So I, I did, I would have done Rose. I wish I, I wish I knew that before this next time you come on, but <laughs> I have two questions from, from mutual friends of ours. And one of them one of them sort of, oh, well, I thought it related to this, but it actually doesn't. It, it's actually, they're both kind of related to podcasting. So we'll get to it later, but I, okay. I will ask you the question that is, is a little bit similar because I only skimmed the question, but what has the, the space that was previously occupied by social media, what has it given you? And, mm-hmm. you know, what have, have you noticed since being off of it? Yeah. Well, it definitely, you know, when I left Instagram, I would have told you that any of the other major life changes I was making were a bigger deal, right? Like I got my PhD, I got married, I moved. Like those all felt like the big choices. And it was just like Instagram happened to be the thing I was doing. But now it has, it really, a joke I often make, it's not even a joke, it was just true, is like, I thought those things were important, but all anybody ever wanted to ask me about was how I left Instagram that year. Like it was, um, and I launched Off The Grid podcast because I got so many questions about it. And now that it's been two years, so I left Instagram in April of 2021. I launched Off The Grid a year later in I think March of 2022. And we're recording this in June of 2023. So I've been off social media for over two years. And I think the biggest gift it's given me is just time, like to real to reclaim so much time. And then also the clarity that has come from taking those thousands of voices I was engaging with out of my head. And I think like those are the most precious things in my life, right? Time and clarity are things I have always wanted more of. Um, and to have to be able to make one decision that gave me so much more of both has been a real gift. Now, does that mean that I'm over here like <laughs> feeling like I have hours of extra time each day and I'm so clear on everything I'm doing? Like, absolutely not. So I think. When I first left Instagram, it did feel like this huge world had opened up to me. But like life fills your time and life raises new questions. Um, So I recently sent an email to my list that was like, what are all the things I do on my phone that are not Instagram? Because my partner had asked me like, how do you spend so much time on your phone when you don't use social media? (laughs) So I went through, I was like, what do I do? And it was like, I play this silly game and I like spend a lot of time on apps where I like 
look at movies and books and TV shows and things and, um, you know, rate them and talk to my little internet friends about what we've liked recently. Spend a lot of time on Discord where I'm in a bunch of communities with different people I care about. And, you know, I think the difference between any of that and social media is I just feel like the connection is real and genuine and that I'm actually deepening relationships by being present there. And I think that's another gift that I've gotten upon leaving is just so many of my parasocial relationships fell away. Like those sorts of people that I really only engaged with by like liking each other's stories or the people who I only knew because they commented on a bunch of my stuff, but I never really like engaged with them. So all those sorts of like parasocial or one-way relationships, many of them fell away and I've been able to be much more intentional in my community building and nurturing efforts. And that feels like another gift. So yeah, I guess like time, clarity, and deeper community are the things I feel like I've gained. And at the same time, I still spend a lot of time on my phone. Like that hasn't changed. I'm still like a human in 2023. And um, my iPhone is with me most of the time. Um, although I will say I was just on a, a business retreat with a dear friend and co-founder of mine, shout out to Taylor. And I did notice that like Taylor has been on off the grid and has talked about kind of her relationship to social media, which is, um, has kind of de-escalated a lot in the past few years. But I did notice that like, I just never had my phone on me the whole time we were there. And like Taylor was the one documenting, sharing our retreat and kind of putting it out there. And like people loved that, but I was definitely not doing it. And it didn't even occur to me the way in the past, I would have been the first person to like take a photograph of every single thing we ate or did the whole time. This week's episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Listen, I am very excited about this collaboration with one of my favorite brands and I'm so excited to tell you about some of my favorite products. They have these bars that I carry around. I like to have with me. They're available in five flavors. None of them have added sugar. They're all certified organic, nutrient-dense, superfood blends. And they have grass-fed bone broth protein, Himalayan pink sea salt, and antioxidant-rich pumpkin seeds. They taste incredible and they actually support gut health and be great for people who struggle to digest protein but need protein. I think we all need protein. I'm no nutritionist, but I'm pretty sure protein's like one of the most important of the nutrients there are. Anyway, they're they're incredible and they taste really good, which is my main concern. Gluten-free, GMO-free, no added sugar, dairy-free. And again, they taste good. This company has so many other items and they are all available to you with a discount because of how we're working with them, to be honest with you. And I'm so grateful for that. One other product I want to shout out is the Essential C Complex. It's a vitamin C supplement that I take because it is really useful and I, I think you might like it too. I've, I've spoken about it before, but 
nothing added to it. it it's such an important vitamin C. Everybody knows about vitamin C. It's like the, probably one of the most popular vitamins, I would say, right? But I, I didn't know that vitamin C is incredible for lowering cortisol, which is the, the stress hormone. And one study found that it actually helps with sleep, which again is something else I didn't know about vitamin C, but I, I love their supplement. I take it. They say it can help with mental health and I need all the help I can get there. So you know what? Paleo Valley, if you would like to try them out, I would love it. It helps support the show. You're supporting this project, which is which is also really, really cool. Head over to paleovalley.com slash let it out for 15% off your order. That's paleovalley.com slash let it out for 15% off your first order. This episode is brought to you by Nutrafol. Listen, Nutrafol is pretty incredible. I have known about this company for a long time. I even had one of their founders on as a guest and loved speaking with her about hair and about how Nutrafol has helped her hair to grow and to feel better about it. And, and you know, listen, I think hair is very personal. And when we feel like we like how we look, we are able to be more present with each other and with our work and creatively. And I think that's a really great thing. Nutrafol, if you are unfamiliar, is this brand that that helps with hair in a way that I think is really cool. It's a physician formulated hair growth supplement and scalp care product line that creates a simple but effective routine to address thinning hair at the source and you know hair changes can happen due to age biology lifestyle no matter what the root cause is Nutrafol can help you you know with science-backed formulas tailored to your specific needs the hair care products that you use can make or break your hair health over washing color treating heat styling the product usage can cause the scalp's pores to clog or they can cause dryness and that leads to a poor environment for hair growth so while Nutrafol's hair growth supplements target the root cause of hair thinning from within Nutrafol's scalp care formulas create a healthy environment for improved hair quality they make a shampoo a scalp mask and a scalp essence and each one is gentle yet effective and it works to exfoliate purify and balance the scalp for improved hair health the sulfate and silicone free shampoo and conditioner are shower essentials and I really, really believe that. And I would love for you to try this physician formulated product line and see if it can help you. Hopefully it will visibly improve your hair health and strength within two weeks and see how it goes, you know? And of course their supplements are a foundation to the routine and, and really useful. So if you wanna take the first step towards improved hair and scalp health now for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our US listeners $10 off your first 
scalp care order when you go to Nutrafol.com slash scalp and enter the promo code, let it out. Find out why over 4,000 healthcare professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash scalp and enter the promo code let it out for $10 off your first scalp care order. This is available only to U.S. customers for a limited time. That's Nutrafol.com slash scalp promo code let it out for $10 off your first scalp care order. Thank you so much, Nutrafol. Yeah, I think that's a piece that's really interesting is the uncon or the subconscious or unconscious. I'm not I maybe subconscious. The the way that I and and I heard I've heard this come up on on episodes of yours and episodes when you've been a guest where, you know, people talk about how when they're moving through the world, thinking about it in the sense of this photo for later, this for that Mm -hmm. or whatever. And like you were saying, exactly the example you gave. And the way I've crafted my boundary with less intention, but the way it's panned out for me is I don't really go on there all day long. Like I can't, I've realized I can't be on there and do my life. I can either be Mm -hmm. on there or I can do my life, but I really can't do both at the same time. And I get on it about once every day, but I either I'm like all I'm going to post and that's going to be my thing or I'm going to do I I take photos on my regular photo app. And then mm-hmm. at the end of the day, before I go to bed or if I just have a minute, I'll, I might upload like three or four things to stories, depending on on what I did that day. And other days there's like, oh, there's I did nothing. So there's nothing for stories today. But yesterday I didn't do it or I had too many or whatever, which is like, mm-hmm. but it's kind of it's still needling at me. And if I s- see something I like that is a moment of beauty, I, I capture it. And I don't know if that makes me remember it longer in a gratitude sort of a way, or I, I was very into Snapchat when it just la- when yeah. it very first launched and I would make my story. It was before we had Instagram stories and I really enjoyed making my story. And then at the end of the day, watching it and being like, oh, wow, what a memory. And that's going to go away tomorrow. And mm-hmm. not a lot of people saw it. It's kind of like, like be real now a little bit, but, but it felt like this way to document my my life where you know my instagram was growing and that felt more i've always had a problem with caring so much about what the feed looks like you know and mm-hmm. and and getting so bogged down by that when and i think creative constraints are good but also can be stifling but but i i think that that feeling of looking at life through the lens of of wanting to share it is is fucking with us <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> word, but also gives me a lot, which is why it's fucking with, you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. another thing, like what you said about the parasocial relationships, as I was, you know, reflecting my own experience with the, this, I have been talking to a lot of guests who've been coming on a lot of the musicians and writers about self mythologizing. And when Mm -hmm. this portion of the show comes up and we're talking about how they engage with Instagram. And I had this neighbor of mine who's a musician named Kale on, and he's a person I met through the neighborhood. And we, I had a very interesting experience with him, Amelia, because we didn't know each other well. And he, 
we must have eventually gotten to the point where we both followed each other. I don't even really remember exactly how that happened. I think maybe I followed him first. And then when he finally, I finally became cool enough for him to follow back. You know what I mean? I was like, okay. And then I, I started watching his stories and he watched mine and and we would message back a little bit like, oh, I go there too. Or, oh, isn't that cookie great? Or like, he's now he's seen my apartment a lot. You know, now I've mm-hmm. seen his, you know, and then now when we would meet up in person, which is really pretty often, I felt closer to him. I felt like he actually like mm-hmm. knew more of me and I felt this intimacy with him in person. And then I have the opposite thing happen in the neighborhood where I have a a really personal relationship with someone and we don't follow each other on Instagram and that, that needles at me sometimes. And I feel weird Mm -hmm. about that. And it's just like, also these things of like, sometimes from what I share, it can lead to something really great. Like someone, it's almost like you put yourself out there to be seen in this way that you're inviting in people to it's kind of like on your birthday where people just remember you exist more that Mm -hmm. day because they might have it in their phone or they see something you know whatever and that open sign can be really good and really productive and and a, a a friend of mine who's who's like a big advisor person to me she was helping me to question like a lot of the good in my life, I was like, oh, I think people are just like, because of a number on there that I don't even really know why it's as high as it is. And one day at like 9 p.m. on a Sunday, suddenly I had this blue check a couple of years ago and I have <laughs> literally no idea why. But I feel like people, I had it in my head that like some of the opportunities that I've been given, some of the people who pay attention to me, some people treat me differently. Some of the yeah, some of the opportunities that even just socially, like getting to live in this apartment or this group of friends or whatever, mostly social mm-hmm. has been and career wise too, as a result of this thing that was completely out of my control. I think I don't really mm-hmm. understand. And she helped me question like, but is it that like, and I, and I don't know. And I think some of it might be, but it's just yeah. really interesting how this all, all converges. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I mean, and I think I, I I don't think you're wrong. I guess maybe it's what's coming to mind. Like our social media capital is social capital. And I think I'm not denying that. Not that you're saying I am, but like <laughs> I don't deny that. You know, it's a very I do consider people differently if I know they have 10,000 followers, 100,000 followers, whatever. And if I know that before I know them, it can shape how I encounter them. Or if I know them and then I find that out, it can make me feel a certain sort of way or feel insecure or confused or excited or, you know, any sorts of all sorts of feelings. And I think that that's very real. And I've kind of had the opposite or like a analogous but different experience moving to Nebraska, right? You know, this is not like a definitely not my Chicago community that I've have out here. And I have this sort of, you know, I never had a lot of followers, but I think I had a very strong community in Chicago. And most of the time when I met people, they had already seen my Instagram. And so it was like, or like the only reason we even said hi in person is because we follow each other on Instagram. You know, it. my Instagram presence uh, kind of walked ahead of me in the world is how it felt. And sometimes that was really nice because I didn't have to like 
prove myself to anybody or I felt like I didn't have to explain what I did because they already knew. And then sometimes that was really alienating (laughs) because maybe what was happening on my Instagram was not the same thing that was happening in my life. Or maybe someone had projected something onto my public profile that like definitely didn't feel like what I was trying to do there. So I think, I think there's always both. And I don't think the answer for everyone is to then just walk away or do what I did and leave the platforms. And I really feel for, you know, as I've been doing this work, I find that people who are kind of in my position, it's much easier (laughs) if you were really, you know, you had a few hundred or thousand followers and you don't feel like Instagram is necessarily doing a lot for you or your business or your personal goals. Like it's pretty, it's not so hard in that position to walk away. I think it's very different when it feels like your entire, all your career opportunities have been built on this platform. And like, what do you, takes a lot of courage to really decide to step away from that. It's interesting. And it's interesting what you said there, like about it being social capital and, you know, perhaps another class system. Would mm. would you make that connection even? Yeah, I think we could in some ways. I mean, I think there are ways that social media has a class system. There are ways it probably has a caste system at times. Like we could extrapolate in those ways. And I've been working on an episode of Off the Grid inspired by another friend of mine, shout out to Melissa Word, um, about how we will often price our offerings through the lens of our social capital and particularly our social media capital, aka our followers, and how sometimes we undervalue ourselves because we have a smaller following. And as a result, we don't charge as much as we might need to for our work to be sustainable. And that's definitely coming up for me as I'm thinking about this sort of soup of like, yeah, in your social cap, if your social media capital is related to your social capital, then it will impact how much money you do or can make. Yeah, it's really interesting because I mean, I guess we're talking about it business wise in the form of like selling something. But I, I think, you know, even taking it away from that context, like mm-hmm. I have a friend here he's a photographer and he went off of Instagram for a while and then he took a photo of a celebrity and he was like, I think I'm going to get back on it. And I feel like it would be good for my career when that comes out to post that I took that. And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it probably would be, it will help you get more business. And it will like, especially being a, like, that's kind of made mm-hmm. for that in a way. Mm-hmm. But I think that I, I read some article about, you know, when the tech or they, they are still happening, but with tech layoffs, like social media is like the first thing that people go to, to, to kind of check someone out and see, you know, if they're alive and well and, and what their kind of <laughs> vibe is, which is, mm-hmm. and then what you said too, of like, I, I've, I've kind of been doing the opposite here with a lot of my friends who don't have social media. And I, I spoke about this with Nada Alec, the writer, when she did it, where she, when she did the podcast, where she had made this great point where she was like, we were t- I'm talking about, you know, kind of the, that sense of what you you spoke about this with Michelle and Wallace as well about the the cringe of caring of mm-hmm. it being uncool to try and and she said such a great thing on on that episode where she was just like talking about the promotion of her book and how hard she worked on that and she made all of that happen and she was like yeah it is cooler to not do social media it is cool to not do it but 
I also worked really hard on this book and it's a tool that I have and I'm going to try my hardest on it. And it is kind of cringe. And I, you know, and there, like all of these things I think can be true at once. And it's just about, Mm -hmm. I'm glad we're talking about it and I'm glad your work exists and we're having conversations about it because when we're not talking about it, I used to work with Marley Grace on Mm -hmm. um, creative advising when they, for this was in 2017 and they would talk to me. We would talk about this all the time. They have this great zine that I, I wonder if it still exists, but the title is how a video and photo sharing platform gave me my career, introduced me to my best friends and made me want to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that title is so incredible. The essay is mm-hmm. great too, but I think the title is so incredible because it shows that it's not one thing at once. It, it has been very good. It has been maddening at times. It ha- it's it's complex, just like life, you know. And and I mm-hmm. think our wanting to control is all built in there. And and it's something that you know I would show up to our sessions often, and and this would this would come up, and and that mm-hmm. I was not alone in their clients, you know, of of mm-hmm. that. And and it happens, you know, with people I do do the being a thought partner thing with it. It's just, and I'm sure, you know, obviously in, in your work as well. And, mm-hmm. and so it's just, it's good that I think we're, we're talking about this and and that we show that there's other options marketing wise and, and also how impactful it, it, it is at the same time. Yeah. I think that a piece of it for me and I love that you shouted out that zine. I definitely own it. There's definitely a copy somewhere in a shoebox in my house of it. And uh, Mar is now a, a podcast client of Softer Sounds. Yes, and, yes. Um, so cool. So I, I definitely feel like and has their own podcast, Common Shapes, that we just launched this spring. And and I, I, I love them. They've been on this podcast a couple yeah. of times too. Yeah. So many good shout outs in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... I think what's coming up for me is the sort of part of the reason that I've really positioned my work around social media and my podcast off the grid, which is, you know, subtitled leaving social media without losing all your clients. Part of the reason I positioned it in the business world is because I do think we can just very clearly demonstrate like if you run a business and you want Instagram to be a marketing tool for your business, it just doesn't have the results it did three years ago, five years ago, eight years ago. Like you used to really, I think, be able to, and I've talked to so many influencers about those people who have followings of a thousand people, people who have followings of tens of thousands of people, and everyone reports the same sort of change of like, I used to be able to put up a post and most of my audience would see it and lots of people would buy something. And it made marketing so easy because I could just do like two posts and like sell out this thing, this product, this course, this whatever I was doing. And now that has totally changed. You know, everyone feels like if I post about something I'm selling, it doesn't get the algorithm represses it. It doesn't get shown to anyone. Um, If I, you know, post about my newsletter or my podcast or like something that's going to take people off app that also doesn't get shown to anyone. My views are down. My likes are down. My engagement's down. Now, when I want to market my stuff, like it's just so much harder and Instagram or social media more generally, like it's just not effective the way it used to be. And so I think 
that's why I feel so confident and off the grid being like, Instagram is not doing for us what we think it might be or what we want it to. Similar to TikTok, like we're seeing the same things happen on on TikTok, the same sort of trend of like growth, 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 tons of viral growth, discovery. People are starting these million dollar businesses. And now we're starting to hit that curve of like, oh, wait, not as many people are seeing this. I'm not going viral anymore. Like nobody, like it's all happening there again as well. And so I think in the business context, it's just, it feels so clear to me. <laughs> and I, what I love about this conversation is we're also though pulling back to the personal context where it's a lot murkier in my opinion. Be- and I think part of that is for exactly what you pointed to earlier. Like most of us didn't get on social media to like be a brand because when Instagram launched, like being a personal brand wasn't a thing. Like that has all been invented alongside these social media apps. Like this is all kind of coming up together, personal brands, social media, you know, all this stuff got developed and intertwined. And so most of us as just, you know, if you're a business, you're on social media because you want to sell stuff. Like businesses are vehicles of commerce. But if you're a person, like you probably don't know exactly why you want to be on social media. It's probably some combination of like, my friends are here. I want to find out about stuff in my area. I want to feel relevant. I want to look at memes. Everyone just wants to look at memes. <laughs> it's like all I hear. And so in that that way, we can't as clearly look at it and say like, oh, well, it's not giving you what you want or it's not having the effect that you want. In our personal lives, I think why we're on social media and what we desire from it is a lot murkier And so I just want to like sit in that with people. Like it's, it's back to the soup. We're just real soupy and we're simmering there together. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think I have a whole section of my notes about friendship and relationships Mm -hmm. to, and things from your work I want to pick up on. And one of them was you talk about not taking it personally when, someone doesn't respond to you. And I wrote down something that you said about friendship that I find very true, which was as we get older and our lives change and our geography changes, and also you get to know yourself and you learn that some people like to text all the time and some people don't and you have to be flexible and like learning people's cadence and and I I really agree with that and and relate to that and I think something that Instagram does oppositely is like they don't Instagram doesn't allow for that you know what I mean like Instagram you're constantly reminded that people exist and so when I text someone and they don't text me back I don't worry about it but then if Mm -hmm. I see them engaging on Instagram and realize that they haven't texted me, you know, then I'm reminded that they exist. And something I, I, I talk about with, with my friend Simi recently was like the biggest spirals that we tend to get in is just, and, and birthdays do this too, I think, because they, they kind of blow things up to a cartoon character level where I suddenly, you know, with Instagram, I'm reminded like, oh, this, I should probably call them or, oh, I haven't seen them. And oh, I, I, now I know that this happened and I need to reach out to them because they're, they're, they lost a loved one or, oh, they got this job. And if next time I see them, I need to remember to, to ask about that. And I need to, oh, I saw, you know, it's become a social thing where it's like, 
if you, if sometimes I won't want to watch people's stories because I'm like, oh my God, then I need to make sure they, now they know that I know, (laughs) you know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and same with a birthday. It's like suddenly things are on high alert where you're realizing like, oh wow, this person reached out to me. Oh, I haven't read, or they didn't tech, you know, you're suddenly reminded that people exist in this way that socially I think is, um, you know, just this is totally, like you said, really kind of beyond business. But I think the intersection Mm -hmm. that I found is like, I can't uncouple that personal part to the fact that like, I, some days I'm like, I don't want to get on there. I'm feeling a bit shaky personally, but also this is, Mm -hmm. you know, people I've dated or people I'm whatever, whatever, like that's all connected there as well as I really do want to share this episode of my podcast here. And Mm-hmm. the uncoupling of the social and the the office and the business is um to the social and the party is yeah. is a challenge that um that yeah I'm, I'm glad we're talking about yeah i'm reminded of um i just mentioned melissa but she was on an episode of off the grid to talk about an experiment she did where she unfollowed everyone like she took her profile down to following zero people yeah i just listened and to that one this yeah, morning <laughs> she oh, great she talked about how like the episode's really great if folks are interested they should listen because i will not do it justice in summary but like she just really unpacked how it was like very liberating while she was doing it and then now she's gone back to following some people and it's brought up exactly these sorts of like entanglements you're talking about of like um like, what if I do follow my ex? What if I don't follow this person I dated? What if I like somebody follows me and I don't follow them back? Or like, what if uh, they notice that I look at their stories, even though I definitely been avoiding their texts for eight months or whatever? Like, I love that episode because we do dig into this like stickiness. And I think a lot of that comes from on social media are some of our most private actions are just like, publicly available, viewable. And I don't mean like in our posts, but I just mean like if we looked at it or not, if we open this app on my phone, which is something I'm, you know, probably doing in the bathroom or somewhere super private in my home. <laughs> and but like everyone, the, that person can see it or other people can see if I liked something on somebody else's post or commented there or like, it's this really to get back to your office example, like this blend of private public. That's really, I think, challenging to navigate. And I'm also reminded of one of Softer Sounds clients, Sarah Tacey runs a podcast called Threshold Moments. And she has this beautiful episode called Right Distance that I actually don't think it's out when we were talking, but we'll probably be out in a few weeks <laughs> by the time this goes live. Sometimes I forget what I've edited and what has actually published. Um, but in that episode, like she just, she, teaches this like wisdom that I think is so relevant here. So it's called right distance. And it's all about how we can cultivate right distance to things and people in our lives. And she talks about how in different relationships, like right distance might mean you live down the block from each other or right distance might require that you live on opposite coasts and see each other once a year. And like relationships need right distance to flourish. And that gets back to what I had shared about like these really, everybody likes to communicate differently. Everybody needs a different amount of time and space between, you know, hangout sessions or vacations you take together. 
And I think that that is all the negotiation of right distance with each other. And on social media, it's just like fully flattened. <laughs> like there is no such thing as that. You get one option of, I mean, you know, maybe a few options, posts, feed posts, stories, DMs of like how you're going to engage with people. And that is it. And there is no mutual negotiation of pacing or timing on that. And there's just, it really like flattens it. And then like, we just never have that conversation, which I think if I have noticed in my long lasting friendships, we've just have to have time and time again to keep negotiating that right distance to keep the friendship feeling supportive and nurturing for everyone involved. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a dosage issue. It's like a consent Mm. sort of issue. Mm -hmm. There's so much at play here. I'm, I'm curious, you know, what, or if anything you, you miss from, being on social media. And, and mm-hmm. I heard you talk about this a little bit there, there, like we've, you know, been saying there is some magic that can't be created elsewhere, like circling back to P as much as, you know, we cringe at the, now I'm reminded everyone exists. It's sometimes it's, it, when you're in the mood for it, it's like, oh, it's nice to remember that person exists, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything else that you found yourself missing or nostalgic for? And do you ever think it would be enough to take you back? Yeah. So in one of maybe the first episode of season two of Off the Grid, I I kind of charted the stages of leaving social media. And I talked about how like at the end, at two years in, I just got lonely. Like, and I think that that's important to share because I'm not trying to be out here being like, I will say things like I love social media and it changed my life, but I'm not trying to turn that into the imperative of leave social media. It will change your life. Like I'm not making that promise to anyone. <laughs> um, it, And I think, you know, I, as we, where we started this conversation, like I made a lot of really big life changes at once. I moved States. I changed career paths and I left social media, which did leave me pretty isolated from my community. Um, and I had, I think in the early days, I I did the work of like keeping in touch with people. And then that faded a little bit and I was left feeling kind of alone. And I didn't really know how to connect with the people where I live now. I didn't feel like I knew what was happening in my friends' lives because I wasn't on Instagram. So I wasn't seeing their sorts of broadcasts about what was going on. Uh, Most of my like personal friends don't necessarily have, you know, newsletters they're sending me about what's up with them, although some of them do. And I treasure that. So I think that as much as earlier I said, like, it was so nice that some of these, so clarifying that many of my parasocial relationships fell away it has also been isolating that I don't, you know, see that that friend, I that person I've known since third grade that maybe I'm not as close with anymore, but like they had a new baby and I want to celebrate that with them. And those opportunities are harder to find um, or to take part in when I'm not on social media. And I, I feel that I have to do a different type of work in my friendships to stay close to people. But that's also okay with me. It goes back to that piece about like, I feel more connected when I actually text them than when I just like respond to a DM. And I've noticed that like, because off the grid is not on social media, like, 
you know, I'm not getting DMs about how people like the show, but I get these like paragraphs long emails from people about what it's meant to them. And like, I feel like if I was on social media, they would send me like a quick comment or something. And instead, I get this like beautiful, thoughtful email because they've had to go to a different space to interact with me. But it does feel like, you know, trade offs, I guess. I don't love that. I don't know if that's the right word, but I, I miss the like easy, quick hit, instant gratification of so- social media connection. And I can recognize that now maybe I get a like deeper, simmering, more long lasting connection. But sometimes I just want that like sugary, <laughs> yummy <laughs> dopamine boost. And uh, I have to go like eat a gummy bear to get it instead of opening an app on my phone. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like even my version of this has just been what I share and what I do on there is very, very different than even just a couple of years ago. And as a result of that, you know, when you put out less, you receive less. And I used to post something like every single morning, I would just post mm-hmm. something. It was, you know, and, and now I'm, if I post on the grid once a quarter, you know, it's, <laughs> I'm lucky, yeah. but, and I, and I'm, it's just much more, more rare but like I said, you know, it's still kind of needling at me and all, at all times, like should probably post on Instagram, but it's always like kind of on the list, even if it's not on mm-hmm. the list. And I I do think that that sort of because I don't know if it's because of that or because I've changed or just because people don't like me anymore or, or the content's worse, but I have been constantly pretty rapidly. I heard you say in another podcast that you were like growing about a hundred followers a month. I've been I don't ever know how many exactly. I just noticed the point going down. And it's been like rapidly pretty much going down mm. for the last several years. And so I always make the joke like, well, someday it'll get to zero. <laughs> like someday everyone will like <laughs> And that's when I'll, everyone that's will when leave. I'll leave. Um, Oof. Well, I want to talk about podcasting and conversation in this medium as much as we've like shit on the medium that's complex in so many <laughs> ways. I'd love to talk about this one that that we lo- both love so much. But just one one last thing about Instagram in particular is um I'm I'm curious about the the intersection between social media and body image and 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 your thoughts on this because obviously you know body image issues and eating disorders and fat phobia have have always existed long before this platform did um but and I I just you know often think about how seeing ourselves and photos of ourselves like in the 90s it was a disposable camera that you just had for yourself <laughs> like mm-hmm. no one else yeah. saw and i just i'm curious if you have any thoughts on that because it was really hitting me hard just to kind of realize mm-hmm. it yeah yeah i mean so so i have so many thoughts on this i think that when i was still on instagram i did spend a few years with like cultivating a selfie practice. And I shared a lot about this. I kind of glossed over that earlier, but a lot of that work is still on my website if people are interested. And it was really for me a way of like reclaiming my relationship to my body after it had been like really severely damaged by a lot of the media you're referencing, you know, growing up and being a whatever preteen teenager in the early aughts. Um, and through that pro like as I was going through that practice, I also um, gained a relatively, I don't know what significant means, but I gained weight and my body changed a lot. 
and I am a fat or small fat person. And I use selfies to really like learn to enjoy and appreciate that instead of hide from and judge and shame that. And at the same time, I got, you know, have the screenshots to prove that I got the like gross strangers spewing fat phobic comments at me um, on my public profile. And it was just a little, you know, I definitely encountered some of that there. Just a minute amount of the vitriol that I see spewed at other fat folks who like, quote unquote, dare to show their body online. But so I, I think... There's, I certainly cannot do a, 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 this topic justice in the few minutes that we have, but there's a lot for me. I was really able to separate like the toxic patterns and behaviors that I saw around body image and to reclaim like selfies and my personal Instagram profile as a place where I could tend to my body in a different way and share that with others. And that was really valuable. And I am so glad I was on Instagram for that. Because now that I'm not, like, I don't really have much of a selfie practice anymore. And, but I still carry the love for my body that I cultivated through it. Like, that's still with me. And I feel really grateful. Mm, that's really cool. I, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Truly, I'd love to, to offline plan a time to have you come back for part two where we could just focus on podcasting and really go in deep yeah, there. I, I would love that. I feel like, I have so much to learn from you as well. And folks would probably really just love like a super meta conversation between yourself as a longtime uh, super talented podcaster and me as like a studio owner, producer. Totally. I think that'd be great. Hell yeah. And I have the I have the notes already. And actually the questions from friends were all about related podcasting. To, to podcasting. Yeah. But cool. I guess just in the in the like two minutes that we have to wrap up this conversation, which really focused on social media and and friendship and and everything around that is there anything else you you want to share about that i mean the the only other social media related question or or not really just more about relationships was something that you said about elizabeth gilbert and how we all have different size cups you know around friendship and and relationships mm-hmm. and i think mm-hmm. social media can be there's a lot of parallels here, you know, with the pros and cons of social media and the pros and cons of filling our time with distractions, you know? And mm-hmm. so I guess just around that or around social media and and friendship and relationships in general, is there anything that you feel like would add to this portion mm-hmm. of the conversation? Yeah. You know, I think what I come back to in both social media and friendships or relationships is that the best things that we can do is cultivate like inner authority and energetic sovereignty and our own inner voice. And if we're doing that work, like we will know if things or people are right or wrong for us. And because I was doing that work, because I had, as I mentioned, like <laughs> gone to therapy to work on codependency, it was so clear to me when Instagram was a no. Like that was just a really, it became really obvious. And I think that so often people feel like they've just been sucked into social media and they don't know if they still want to be there and they can't leave. And it just feels really murky or like a spiral. And similarly, I think people can get into relationships or even friendships that feel really unclear, maybe unsafe, kind of confusing. <laughs> And like our work is to align with ourselves 
and then to cultivate the courage to step out of things that are not for us. And I think that applies to both social media and to friendships. And what I've discovered through my journey of leaving and then leaving social media and launching off the grid is that like, I didn't, I, when I left social media, I fully thought I was walking away from ever having an audience ever again. And then I launched this podcast and I have a bigger audience than I ever had on social media. (laughs) And so I, what that has taught me is that like when I really take bold steps into alignment with myself and my values and my vision for the world, like that's when people want to connect. Not when I'm just like swimming in the sea of what everybody else is doing and trying to be better at the things that other people are doing. Like that, that's not where the magic is uh, in on social media or in relationships. The magic is when you're like really clearly yourself and really generously sharing that journey with others and listening to other people's journeys along the way. So mm. I think that's where I want to wrap this conversation. That's so perfect. Thank you so much. And, and that was the only other thing about social media that we didn't cover. You just did, which was about chasing the algorithm being a skill that's mm-hmm. not transferable at all. Mm-hmm. And not at all. And, everything else is. And so anyway, thank you so much. I'm going to just tease to you before we (laughs) let out a deep breath together that I want to talk about next time, what makes a good conversation, the the, the art Mm. of editing, because I'm really interested in that and zone Mm -hmm. of genius and talking and systems and scoping. And there's Mm -hmm. there's more to, to dive into plus questions from a friend coming up next week. But let's just end with a deep breath together. And thank you so much for being here. And I'm sorry, I, I, I kept you to the end. Oh, I'm so glad we took every moment together. Oh, good. All right. Well, inhale. Let it out. Thank you so much, Amelia. And I'll talk to you again soon. Oh, thank you, Katie. I can't wait. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was my conversation with Amelia Ruby, founder of Softer Sound, host and producer of Off The Grid and several other podcasts. She does so much and follow everything that she does. Her website is linked in the show notes as well as how to connect with her because she's on social media, which is great. And I am so happy that you're here. I am on social media and so is this podcast, which is also me. At Let It Out with three Ds or my name at Katie Dalebout. I would love to hear from you there or elsewhere about what you thought of this episode and maybe your relationship to social media is extremely different or maybe you related to something in here or you found it entertaining or interesting I hope and I'm really grateful that you're here listening I have been working on a huge well it just feels huge to me because it's taken me so long but I've been moving the newsletter that you may know you may love or you may don't know at all but i've been sending out a newsletter alongside this podcast which began in 2013 the podcast as well as the newsletter and it has been called the let it out letter it used to go out on mailchimp and then i got a lot of emails on there which is great but it mailchimp charges by the amount of emails that you have and so it got too expensive so i moved to a new platform called flowdesk in 2020 which was very tedious to move over everything you know seven years of newsletters at that point but what else was i doing it was a pandemic but then i noticed that everyone i love and follow many writers everyone from patty smith to many people i've had on this podcast and friends of mine were 
either migrating their existing newsletters to Substack or they were starting newsletters. And I realized that that's kind of the party that everyone was at. And even though I had just spent all this time moving, I want to be there because I was like, uh, is it me or is Substack simply what blogging was in like 2012, except it comes to your inbox rate, which blogs could also do. But anyway, it kind of was, it felt like a time machine back to that internet, which was my favorite internet, the internet of 2012. And I wanted to go back in time. (laughs) I wanted to be at this party that I was arriving late to, which I often do at parties. And you know what? Like the good Midwesterner I am, I come with dip. I stay till the bitter end. I will help clean up. I will roll up my sleeves and I'll try to be useful, which is what I'm going to try to do on Substack. I'm late to the party, but I'm going to show up and try to be useful. And I'm not late to newsletter or I'm not new to newsletters. I've been sending them out, but I've been doing it in this way that I realized going back through my old newsletters, I don't really like how I've been doing it. They're too long and... I want to change how I'm doing it. And so I'm changing the let it out letter to let it out lists. And I will be sending out lists that are topical, that are hopefully entertaining. And with them, I will also send out new episodes and show notes to links to everything. So, you know, if you're listening to these while you're driving, keep your hands on 10 and two, don't stop to write down a link to a book or something that we mention, I'll send it all to you in an email if you want. So if you want to be on that list and join my Substack, feel free. I'm excited about it. It's taken me a very long time to make this change. All right. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. It is produced by the incredible Brianna Bain, my friend, and we are doing a summer Fridays of sorts. So the podcast is coming out every other week, but in the meantime, feel free to dive on into the vast archive that is let it out and part two with amelia ruby will be coming up very soon on the show if you need anything from me you know where to find me thank you so much for listening i know there's so many podcasts and i'm grateful that you spend time with me here bye bye what i what we were talking about before i pressed record was about the website thing and um Mm -hmm. i it's so funny that you said that because all morning i was listening to you on other people's um podcasts and looking at their websites and all day yesterday and looking and i was like there was this one person in particular who was really cool the last one i listened to you on and she has a podcasting course very similar to this one that I made in 2017 I think and Mm -hmm. I was like oh my god this is exactly like what I wished it looked like and my stuff so outdated (laughs) and that website that I built that you were so kind to to say that about was built so long ago where I'm just like oh man this is all so easy it's just so that was such a timely compliment because I was Uh in a whole (laughs) spiral about it (laughs) yeah no I I love the let it out website I feel like it just beautifully showcases the show and how special your show is and the longevity of your show. But I can completely relate on that sense of like, oh my God, I made a course, but now like 
there are 8 million podcasting courses out there. I myself am getting ready to create a how to launch a podcast course. And I'm having a little bit of that, like, what do I bring to the space that isn't already in the space sorts of questions? Yeah, that I mean, I think that's an interesting thing just and I'm sure it's always existed, but it feels so intense being someone who has been on the internet for, you know, most of our careers in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I was seeing so many parallels when when I was preparing for this with you. But yeah, I, I think that's something that just because I just keep saying this to myself, like just because you've been doing something for a long time doesn't mean you're good at it or the best mm. at it, or it just means you've been doing it for a long time and it, <laughs> it means nothing, you know? Um, oh, but I think it means so much just to add a, another voice to that. Like mm, something I really learned when I was like, in my head, like when I was a baby, but what I mean is like when I was 23, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I used to table at a bunch of zine fairs. And what I learned is that like, the most popular people at the zine fairs did not have the fanciest scenes, like the coolest prints and all of this. They were just the ones that came every year. And by popular, I mean the ones who had the most people at their table and the most connections with others and all of that. And it just really taught me that doing something for a long time is valuable in and of itself. And I tried, really tried to carry that through the things that I do as well and, and not get so caught up sometimes on like the shininess of things on the internet and look a little deeper into like, what's the process here? How long has this been happening? How sustainable is it as a result? So those those are things I bring into that mix. Well, thank you. That was like a soothing <laughs> solve to hear. So I really, uh, I appreciate that perspective. And yeah, that feels nourishing. But 